Welcome to the Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. Today on the Pet Show, we take a deep dive into the world of pet celebrations and look at how various faiths honor thy pets. More specifically, we look at the growing trend within Judaism of bark mitzvahs to discover how these rituals manifest within one culture in particular. On the surface, the ceremony seems abjectly ridiculous, an outgrowth of our current obsession with our pets and the continuing trend towards humanization where our pets are a part of the family. This single point has driven the pet sector towards record highs, with American consumers spending over $76 billion on their pets last year, with an increase per annum of close to 15% year over year. And yes, we dedicate a healthy portion of that spending to spoil our dogs and cats with birthday parties, doggy weddings or puptuals, ugly sweater dog Christmas parties, feline fashion shows. The list literally goes on and on. According to the most recent set of data collected in the American Pet Products Associations, or APA, National Pet Owners Survey, 7% of dog owners hold holiday or birthday parties for their dogs. 28% buy their dog's birthday gifts. That adds up to millions of people buying presents and billions of dollars spent at retail on these gifts. Obviously, all of this was in a pre-COVID world. And for now, most canine and feline celebrations are happening virtually. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist and can only begin to guess the myriad of reasons why we bestow this level of human love on our pets. The simplest answer is why not? Our dogs and cats offer us unconditional love. At least our dogs do. Most cats would push us in front of oncoming traffic, then eat our internal organs if given the chance. But our dogs every day do nothing but love us, bring us joy, and act as our protectors and saviors. They seek nothing in return but to please us and love us unconditionally. Why not celebrate this behavior? It is without a doubt love in its most pure and simple form. Our pets do not understand the concept that they are sentient beings worthy of celebration. This strictly is a human emotion. It has no concept of its birthday, nor can it grasp the idea that it is a dog descending from other dogs and was born and inhabits this earth and is special. None of this transmits. That said, the dog does feel our love and understands that the person singing to it, calling them a very good boy or a very good girl and saying, happy birthday, Fido, loves them very much. And this is enough. Let's check out a bark mitzvah in progress to see how all this makes sense. Nikki, this is a very joyous occasion for you. And Rabbi Otis, who's a hundred years old, two centuries. My God. All right, he's gonna help mm -hmm. me oversee the Bark Mitzvah with you. That's the voice of Lee Day, who for the past 40 years has been America's preeminent pet entertainer. From her Stanhope, New Jersey home, she's built an international profile as a self-ordained pet rabbi, performing in her first Bark Mitzvah on the Joan Rivers show. Later, she did a wedding for Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's Yorkshire Corky to a white poodle named Peaches. Her work is so prolific that she trademarked the term bark mitzvah and pre-COVID performed up to a dozen ceremonies a year. As a singing groomer, she's even styled Mary Tyler Moore's Golden Retriever Dash and Liz Taylor's dog Sugar. 
I'm Jewish, and I figure, you know what? Priests can do a blessing. Why can't I do a blessing in, in, in Jewish for any animal? Not just dogs, meow mitzvahs, bark mitzvahs, catechisms. You know, I do it all. I, um, I created that with a yarmulke talist, and everybody loved it. That included producers for The Joan Rivers Show, who wanted to surprise the comedian for her birthday and hired Lee Day to perform the first ever televised bark mitzvah for Rivers' dog, Spike. How often do you do that? Once a month? Once? Well, it depends on when, when somebody wants it done. But Spike is a special person, and we want to make him happy. And uh, Spike, remember, Spike Rivers, this is bark mitzvah day. Everything's gonna go your way. Spike Rivers, this is your day. This is all that I can say. It's your bark mitzvah, you can bark if you want to. Bark if you want to. Bark if you want to. You would bark too if it happened to you. <laughs> so she, they called her best, one of her dear friends, Betty White, and she came up, Araldo, he came up, Barbara Mandrell, Linda Dano. They all came with the doggies. And, uh, I sang to them and I gave, had a girlfriend for Spike and uh, sang to them and she loved it. We were friends ever since then. Lee Day may have popularized the bark mitzvah and yes, she was the first to trademark the term, but she was not the first person to perform an actual bark mitzvah. For that, you have to return to that cradle of Jewish culture, Beverly Hills, California, where then-Mayor Max Salter's wife, Janet, invited 100 of her closest friends to a black-tie bark mitzvah for Salter's cocker spaniel named the Duke of Windsor, or Windy. According to writer Suzanne Borden, a special projects editor for the Jewish culture magazine Moment, Monty Hall, game show host of Let's Make a Deal, served as MC for the entire event. That's what she told us. Uh, Monty Hall was a friend of hers, and she asked him to come and be the MC. And uh, other dogs came, and they set it up in their backyard. And and guests brought, uh, you know, the typical bar mitzvah fountain pens, and they just had a good time. She said, you know, every, nobody for her for her party, nobody took it seriously. It was a, t- a time to get together with friends, have a good time, um, and they used the bark mitzvah as a way to bring people together. And uh, they enjoyed it so much that they ended up having uh, several more for their other dogs. And on a whim, I Googled her name and found out that she was still alive and she was living in Beverly Hills, uh, or she had been in Beverly Hills, she was still in California. And we tracked her down. It's a, uh, she's a woman who has been very active in the community. Um, at the time when we spoke with her, she's 94. And we just kind of went from there to see what else we could find out um, about bark mitzvah. I mean, a lot of people snicker when you hear a bark mitzvah, like, why do you want to do a bark mitzvah? Um, but, but I found through my research for a lot of people, it's very meaningful. This hasn't been lost on contemporary rabbis like Ariel Idri, who runs a congregation in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
He's begun to use bark mitzvahs as a means to have larger conversations about the role of animal welfare within the context of Judaism and a means towards understanding how the universe connects us all. But he also readily admits it's a surefire way to pack in the seats. You know, the experience was very interesting, but I'll start with me. Yes. Because, uh, you know, I didn't grow up doing this and I was never invited to something like that. And one day, I don't remember exactly how, but I mentioned, somebody mentioned, oh yeah, a bark mitzvah. Wow. And I thought it was very funny. And I love the, I love the creativity of the name. <laughs> mitzvah, bark mitzvah for your dog. But I dismissed it as, you know, okay, it's a funny thing. It's a cool way of, um, I don't know, maybe getting some people to come to a synagogue that otherwise they wouldn't. Ah, bring a dog. Who's going to say no to bringing a dog, right? Yeah. So we do something that is a tricky party thing just to bring people in one day. Uh, but then I gave it more thought and I thought that, um, you know, Judaism, all rituals, they're all about celebrating life and celebrating our values and how much we care. And what better example of caring for life than our relationship with uh, our dogs and our pets, right? So I made a click and said, oh, this is something that is very worthy of a Jewish ritual. And it's not in the traditional Judaism. I don't think anybody did a bark mitzvah for <laughs> the last 20 centuries. <laughs> right. But, you know, this is our new way of uh, doing something that I think is very much part of the tradition. And I got a very good response from the beginning. Um, not everybody, but there were plenty of people. I'm sure they were curious, but they were really people for whom the relationship with their dog is not just, well, you know, yeah, I do have a pet, you yeah. know, or people it's uh, very meaningful. So, yeah, it was a very good response. And when you do the actual ceremony, do you read the Haftorah like you would in a regular bar mitzvah, uh, bar mitzvah? Or do you find any specific Torah passages to that relate to that? Yes. Well, so that's interesting. We have to make this up, <laughs> right? Because there's no guideline. So, um, you know, the bar mitzvah for a boy or a girl, you know, it's prayers and liturgy and this and reading. You know, dogs are not very good at praying generally. So, <laughs> you know, what's the point of doing that? But so the balance was to create a ceremony that works for the dogs that are there with their attention span <laughs> and need, but also works for the owners, right? Which are the ones understanding what we're saying. Mm -hmm. So what we did is something like, uh, we have a beautiful backyard in our congregation and we get together in a circle, everybody with their dogs, and we sang a song, short song for us, yes, some Bible verse, how good it is to get together. And uh, um, I would say maybe a few words about, you know, for example, that according to the Bible, we did know the flood, God makes a covenant with us and all living creatures. Oh, there you go. That's relevant. We're all equal, right, in that covenant. So, you know, we'll mention something like that. And then we usually try to associate this with uh, rescue dogs. And so we invited several times somebody from a local rescue association and Sometimes they bring a dog and they tell us all about, you know, how we can care, not just for our pet, right, but for others in general. And um, we ask everybody to bring a donation. 
don't know, bring a bag of food for the dog or something for that, uh, you know, dog rescue center. So we try to put the the element of community and the element of contribution and a little bit of the element of tradition with some biblical teaching and one song. And then we just get every dog and give him a treat. <laughs> That's fantastic. And how many bark mitzvahs have you performed? I think we have done it for the last uh, four years. And sadly, this year we were, uh, you know, scheduled to do one in the spring and, uh, you know, the world ended and so <laughs> we're not doing it. You know? Now, I, I spoke to uh, a, another rabbi who also performs them and he really was, and also with rescues, and he was linking the tradition of animal welfare within Judaism with uh, the tradition of Jewish trauma and uh, and the need for for healing and for rescue, uh, which I found very interesting in in in, in the way that he linked that. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, um, to to me, probably the the best uh, way of presenting something like that, without necessarily being in my stretch or my opinion, but to keep it very traditional. Uh, Ten Commandments, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth of the Ten Commandments is the day of Shabbat, the Sabbath, don't do any work. And the text literally says, don't do any work. You or your children or the slaves or the foreigners or your ox or your donkey so that they rest, right? So the, this, my ox and my donkey, which is my working animal, they deserve a day of rest exactly and in the same sentence, just like all of us, right? So I, I think that the old Jewish tradition is so living creatures as uh, not that different from us, you know, uh, not so distant. So yes, there are, of course, differences. And there are many rules in Jewish tradition and they come mostly from the Bible of animal suffering and how to prevent animal suffering. Uh, but I think that I wanted to do it not so much as, well, there's us humans here, there's these creatures there, and we as masters have an obligation to help, right? Which yeah. is a good idea. But I wanted the Nebar Mixwat to reinforce more the idea that, you know, my dog is just much as an animal as I am. <laughs> and my dog feels uh, love and empathy and loyalty and play just like I do. So to me, it's more to connect. Um, you know, we're all part of the same nature. Now, philosophically, this is where things start to get interesting. This level of thought and conversation spurred by a canine celebration begins to take on almost Talmudic overtones as I seek to connect it to some larger tradition grounded in the twin pillars of empathy and compassion. Especially as much of the work being done by people like Rabbi Eatery is around rescues. In that context, I spoke with Rabbi Shmuel Yankovitz, who explained how the origins of an obscure Jewish holiday, Rosh Hashanah El Bachamot, celebrating giving back to farm animals, connects the entirety of the animal welfare movement to Judaism. Boom. If I was talking to the typical Jew and I said Rosh Hashanah Lebehemot, they would have no clue what I'm talking about. And that's because this is the forgotten holiday. Rosh Hashanah, of course, means New Year's. Rosh means or Rosh means 
it means head, and Hashana means uh, the year. And so Rosh Hashanah, the new year, for animals, is Rosh Chodesh Elul, the new month of Elul. Elul is normally thought of as the Hebrew month that leads up to Rosh Hashanah. But actually, the first day of Elul, the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah, is Rosh Hashanah for animals. And that means that on a typical Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate the creation of the world and all of its entirety, the creation of humanity in particular. But on this Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate the creation of animals, the birthday of animals. And in fact, we have fallen into an anthropocentric worldview where the humans are the pinnacle and the essence of all creation. But by zooming out from there, we see that everyone and everything has been created for its own purpose. And anyone who has ever loved an animal or had any relationship with an animal or with a pet knows um, that there is something very special to that being, something to celebrate. They're not mere instruments for our own satisfaction. They themselves have value. And so this holiday is about returning to such a spiritual consciousness where we can see the value of all living beings. And how would this be, and how would this, how was this traditionally celebrated within Judaism uh, with one's animals? It's a great question because it's not traditionally celebrated at all. It's completely forgotten. And so it was a time of tithing that had to do with the temple 2,000 years ago. Um, and in regards to how we think of, of uh, as the gratitude we have for the animals in our lives that we have been, we've been granted. Um, but today we take such things for granted. If we, if we look at how animals are treated in modern society, uh, bracketing those who are, are, are righteous uh, and, and really treat animals very well within their homes or beyond, um, we see that animals are viewed as pure com commodities for, for human, uh, human, human gain. And that holiday, so the tithing was more about one's domesticated animals and them being thankful for the bounty that those animals provided for them within the calendar year, within the Jewish calendar year. Yes, exactly, exactly. That one felt with any animal one was uh, one that one had in their possession, uh, they felt a deep sense of of gratitude um, that had to be paid back and paid forward for having that. And how do kosher laws fit in? Do you think with the uh, with the ideas of overall animal welfare? Yeah, that's a great question because kosher laws. Uh, were really have three different historical eras to it. The first era, era was in the Garden of Eden, which was a prescribed kosher vegan diet. After the flood story, the rabbis say, the next transition was towards a, um, a, 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 a vegan diet with meat consumption when it was an animal sacrifice on the altar. Then the third transition was when um, there was ritual slaughter of animals for food consumption well before factory farming or anything like mass slaughter we would view today, where there would be a relationship to the animal in the backyard. Today, I argue we're in the fourth era, era where we have alternatives to eating animals and we have uh, a deep awareness of the suffering that is involved with the, um, with the mass killing of land animals. And so the kosher laws are about a system of progress in our spiritual uh, relationship to animals. This spiritual relationship with animals 
described by Rabbi Yankovitz, is largely based on a history of shared trauma by the Jewish people. The urge to rescue and save, Yankovitz argues, is a symptom and a byproduct of our historical past. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Levinas, a French philosopher in the Holocaust, wrote about how the last Kantian in Nazi Germany, what Germany was this dog he saw because the dog looked at him like a, a human being, like an ends in himself. And so we have a lot to learn from the animal kingdom. Anyone who's had a pet or an animal companion knows that. And, you know, the Hasidic masters actually talked about how they would listen to animals and their, and their noise because they could learn music. They could learn how to serve God through the noise of animals. They would one of the stories of, of one of the Hasidic masters who would go to the pond and listen to the frogs to learn how to praise God. And so... Um, it's very rich, the, the, the thought of both not how we should ha only help animals, but have relationships with them as, a, as our spiritual practice. That's all the time we have today for this segment, but it does warrant further attention, mainly towards how tiny gestures that seem frivolous in their outlook and meaning, say throwing a dog a bark mitzvah, for instance, actually become something of a cultural touchstone, especially when one raises the specter of trauma. In speaking with Suzanne Borden, whose own magazine was founded by Elie Wiesel, the goal is to always look for that common humanity that binds us together. This special episode on pet ceremonies and the bark mitzvah was brought to you by Audio Up Media. The pet show is written, produced, and co-hosted by me, Jimmy Jelinek, with co-host Dennis Quaid. Executive producers are Jared Gustav and Dennis Quaid. Bill Marked is the pet show editor, and Emma Rapold is our story producer. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>